So we're going to start a, a new series this morning, uh, just for the next several weeks. I was thinking about it, and Charlie Najimi gave me this uh, thought, because he went fishing on Friday, and uh, he was here for our prayer meeting in the morning, and going fishing, and so, yeah, that's what I'll do. Uh, no, actually, I thought of this before that. So I should. I think I'd like to fish. I, I've never, I've done deep sea fishing, but I've never really done much freshwater fishing. I, I think I would really enjoy it. It's very peaceful. So maybe next time I'll take you up on it. But I'm a rookie. So, you know. Oh, oh, oh okay, okay. Very humble, too. I can see that, too. <laughs> How come I haven't seen any fish on the. How come you haven't brought any fish home to eat? Well, you, you bring them home for me to eat, so. <laughs> Anyhow, having finished uh, the two series, the one on the parables of Jesus and the one on the, on the miracles of Jesus, as you know, uh, the ministry of Jesus with the apostles starts with fishing. And then we finished up last week in John chapter number 21. And after the resurrection, Jesus meets up with the disciples again on the Sea of Galilee. And... Um, finishes with them fishing, but that'll be the last time that they fish for fish. They're going to spend the rest of their lives uh, fishing for men. So let's read Mark chapter 1, 16 through 22, and then we'll have a short word of prayer, and we'll kind of get into this series here. Uh, beginning in verse 16, the Bible says, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants. By the way, let me just stop there. I never really noticed that before, but they had hired servants. So apparently they were, they were pretty good fishermen. They had, uh, I think sometimes we think that they were just uh, kind of scraping to get by. But I think they had a very lucrative fishing enterprise here if they were able to hire people to work for them. And um, just, just a thought there. Um, Anyhow, so they went after him, and then verse 21, and they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Let's pray. Lord, I ask and pray that you would just bless our Bible study this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts through your word and by the Holy Spirit. Please guide and direct me, all that I say this morning. Help me as I uh, bring this lesson. Help me to stay focused. And uh, just thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to gather here this morning. The opportunity that you've given for me to teach this lesson. We pray for the Sunday school classes downstairs, each of the teachers and all of the students. We pray that uh, Holy Spirit, as the word goes forth this morning, that you would speak to their hearts. Use the teachers to convey the truths that are found in Your Word. And we pray for those that may be downstairs who have never received Christ as their Savior. We pray that You'd bring them 
to the convicting knowledge that without Christ there's no hope and they would get saved. Bless the morning worship service and the junior church hour to follow. Again, let it bring honor and glory to You. We're thankful, Lord, again, for Your goodness and for Your mercy and for Your grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. So you might be surprised at this. The term, when Jesus says to them here in the Gospels, I will make you fishers of men, is not an original term with Jesus. I never knew that until I did some studying for this. That was a very common term uh, amongst the Romans and the Greeks. And the, the various teachers and philosophers of the day, they were called fishers of men because they were trying, they would teach their philosophies and teach their uh, different doctrines, uh, whatever they believed. And um, they were trying to persuade men and catch them to believe what they believed. So when Jesus used this term, it wasn't the first time that they would have heard this. But we see that, when you think about it, we see that a lot, really, through the Scriptures. There were a lot of terms and illustrations that Jesus used. When we studied through the parables, for instance... Uh, parables are, are uh, earthly truths that teach a heavenly truth. So these are things that would uh, people would think about, and they'd heard some of these things before. You know, or for instance, when Jesus died on the cross, they had been putting people to death for over a hundred years on the cross. It was a common, it was a common form of execution. So sometimes we think some of these things are. These were the first times they happened or things that were said. But this particular quote, fishers of men, again, was not original with Jesus. Um, but he was conveying a truth to these men that they would become fishers of, of men. And you notice too, in verse number 17, look what it says here. Jesus said unto them, come, come ye after me. And then he says, I will make you to become fishers of men. So they're going to spend the next three years, I was just kind of, as we started the class, I was just talking with uh, um, Charlie about fishing, and, and I, I know a little bit about fishing, but if I would, he fly fishes, you fly fish, right? One of the things I always wish I learned to do is fly fish. My stepfather was an avid fly fisherman, but I never spent enough time with him to fly fish I think that would be an interesting way to fish, fly fishing. Especially if you don't like just kind of sitting there, it kind of gives you something to do. The one time I, we were up visiting my, my stepfather and my mom in the Adirondacks where they owned a cabin, and he was getting on in years, and he wanted to go fly fishing, but he, at that point he didn't like to go alone. So he was talking about it in the evening, and I said, well, Bob, if you'd like to go tomorrow, I'll go with you. And I could tell by the look on his face, now he knew that I never fly fished, and I could tell by the look on his face, it was like, oh, I'm going to go fly fishing with him, and I'm going to have to spend my whole time teaching him how to fly fish. So I, I kind of, I think that's what he was thinking. So I quickly said, I'll take a book and I'll read on the bank while you fly fish. Oh, he said, okay. And uh, anyhow, it rained the next day, and I guess that's not a good time to fly fish and, and all of that, but we never went. But the disciples, to, to, you have to learn how to fly fish. You actually have to learn how to fish. And they were going to spend the next three years learning how to become fishers of men. 
They, they weren't fishers of men yet. But when you and I come to know Christ as our Savior, as we're going to see as we just take this short series and get into some things, we've been called as believers to be fishers of men, to bring others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so this morning's lesson is more on why. Why? What's the motivation for that? And I, and I hope that you'll see that as we get into this. But a little bit later on, if you notice on your handout in Jesus' ministry, um, he would ask the disciples, notice on, on your handout, Matthew chapter 16. So when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The disciples were going to spend the next three years really coming to that conclusion. Part of their three-year walk in ministry with the Lord was for them to understand this is exactly who they're serving. The Christ, the Son of, of the living God. But that's the question every person at some point has to answer. And you'll notice, look at verse 22 of our text. When he got into the synagogue, the disciples, they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus was a different type of teacher to these, fishers, to these men who would become fishers of men. They were impressed by what he had to say. And um, they were going to learn, and it was going to take time for them to learn who he was. But that's the question every person has to answer. Whom do men say that I am? That's kind of the great scale. That determines whether really someone is going to receive Christ or not receive Christ. And he taught us one with authority. You know, I think one of the reasons that people will not accept Christ as their Savior is they and we know that Jesus teaches this, they don't want anyone to have authority over their lives. But if you and I understand just who Jesus is, then He'll have authority in our life. And we'll talk more about that in a minute or two. But who do men say that I am? And Peter would say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Later on, notice uh, on your handout in Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees are gathered and, and Jesus asks them the same question. What think ye of Christ? Basically saying to them the same thing. Who do you think that I am? They spent the three years that Jesus ministered, they spent many of the Pharisees most of that time trying to persuade the people that he was not the Christ. He was not the Messiah. But Jesus is going to take these, three, these years and He's going to systematically, step by step, teach the disciples who He is. When we studied the parables and we studied the miracles, there was, this was a systematic way in which Jesus taught them who He was. So, he has to teach them their theo his theology first here. That's kind of what I'm getting, the point I'm getting across. 
And we use that word theology a lot. Anybody know what the word theology means? What is theology? Yeah, the, really, it's just the study, the study of God, the study of um, the science or the study of God based upon the Word of God. So we systematically study through the Bible. In fact, when I was a young preacher, I was given this book by a very good friend, Terry Jones. This is a classic. It's called, it's very exciting, there's a very exciting theme to the book. Lectures in Systematic Theology by George Thiessen. And um, I've read pretty much this entire book. And um, the theology of ethics, the theology of religion, the theology of philosophy, uh, the persuasive character of unbelief in our day. Oh, these are different things that are in here. And, and uh, exege exegetical theology, historical theology, systematic theology, practical theology, the erroneous use of different terms, the biblical name for gods, and it goes right on uh, for God and goes right on through. Uh, the atheistic theory, the, the dualistic theory, the, the pantheistic theory. And so it, the point of all that is the book was written, and, and I don't know if it still is used, but it was used in a lot of Bible colleges to systematically teach preachers what the Word of God said about all the topics that are found in this book and about who Jesus Christ is. And that's important because, of course, we know that the Bible, the Word of God, is, is our source. And so what then it does is it helps us and it prevents us from, for instance, lifting a passage out of the Bible and trying to make it uh, sound or be something that it's not because all the study of God's Word is systematically taught. And so you can, you, you can take a truth in God's Word in one area and you can go elsewhere and you can find that that same truth is built up in another area. And you might say, well, what does this all have to do with being fishers of men? Well, I'll tell you. Just, just, just hang in there with me. Building the foundation here. So, let me now say this. So, you and I as Bible believers, we have a, a theology. But everyone, whether they're a believer or not, I think we would all agree, has some type of philosophy of life. Would you agree with that? Everybody has a philosophy of life. And we see that in the world all around us. But you and me, what's important for us is we need to make sure that our philosophy of life is built upon the theology of God's Word. Today, sometimes people have it backwards. They have a philosophy of life. I was, I, when I get ready on Sunday morning, I click on the news mostly to see what the weather is going to be. And they, there was this excerpt of the news this morning of um, the Tony Awards coming up to give awards out for Broadway plays and things like that. But they were interviewing an actress that is, is up for a Tony Award and she said that she found God inside of her, and she's very and and the actress said, and I'm very pleased with her. I don't even know what that means. Apparently, she does, but she's 
found a philosophy in life, and that's what she's living by, that philosophy. And, you know, you could, I'm sure many of you could think of other philosophies and people, what they've said and what they've believed. But you and I, as, as believing Christians, as Bible-believing Christians, we need to make sure that our philosophy of life is built on our theology. One of my favorite uh, verses that I, it, that's found in the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah says this, he says, for precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. There a little, and there a little. In other words, and, and it's interesting, but if you go and you read that in Isaiah chapter 28, and he says some other things, he, he tells the Israelites, I'm going to bring a people upon you that have stammering lips and speak another tongue. And then he says pretty much that same verse again. And what, he's, what Isaiah is doing there is, and being used of God, he's, he's, he's like a prosecutor. The Israelites are going to go into captivity. And he's telling them that. You're going into captivity because I sent my, and he's saying, basically, I sent my prophets and they taught you line upon line, precept upon precept, but you've re rejected it. You've refused it. In other words, I built this theology. I built this and presented it to you and you didn't accept it. But that's how you and I are to learn the Word of God. Line upon line, precept upon precept. And then that's how we build a philosophy of life. So having said that, Christian people, you and I, I think this is on your handout, I wrote this there. You and I, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And you might think, well, yeah, that's true. But you would be surprised today how many Christians who claim to be Christians don't, don't believe, what, don't, don't even understand what they believe or know what they believe or why they believe. I remember reading a book years ago and in the book they gave an example of the ministry in Africa. This writer said that in a missionary to Uganda, actually I, I said this to him, I asked if he felt it was true. He said it was certainly true about Uganda. He said the gospel ministry in Africa, he said it's about, um, if it was like a river, it would be about three miles wide and about an inch deep. So you know what he was saying? That there are many, 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 many people who claim to be Christians, but as far as their theology and what they knew, they knew very, very, very little. And so it was important that preachers would be trained and churches would be established and people would, would learn these truths. By the way, this is all part of being fishers of men. When we fish for men, it's just not for people to get saved. It's for them to come to church, be taught the Scriptures, the doctrines of God's Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration. And it's profitable. It says four things there. For doctrine, those are the things that are right. Uh, all scriptures given by inspiration is probably for doctrine, for reproof, to tell us what's wrong, for correction, how to make those things right, and then for instruction in righteousness, how to keep those things right. So we fish for men and women and boys and girls, 
yes, to see them come to know Christ as their Savior, but then they must grow in the faith. Part of our philosophy of who we are. So the measure of any ministry has to be measured against who Christ is and what does Christ say in His Word. So if we're going to do that, if we're going to have a spiritual ends, we must have spiritual means. So all of us, we have to ask ourselves that question really on a regular basis. The question that was asked in these two texts that I have on your handout, what think you of Christ? Well, you would say, I've asked Him to be my Savior. Well, amen for that, amen. But what about every day? What think ye of Christ? Let me give you two examples I heard of one was a baseball team and the other was a denomination that had to decide that when they thought of the question, what think ye of Christ, they had to make some decisions. So one was the Tampa Bay Rays baseball team. Apparently, I didn't realize this till yesterday, this is, this is Pride Week or Pride Month, I guess, in America. So the Tampa Bay Rays were having this whole pride thing. And they wanted the players to wear the rainbow symbol, which I guess is supposed to be emblematic of the pride. I mean, when I think of the rainbow, I think of Noah and the ark. But there were, you think, either five or six players on the team that claimed to be born-again Christians that said that they were not comfortable wearing the rainbow and the emblems on their uniforms. And they said, it's not that we hate people, but we follow Jesus and we believe that Jesus teaches something contrary to this philosophy. Now my understanding is too, the team said it was an optional thing, but because they did not want to wear it, they were, they were criticized and ridiculed. But those players, those five or six players, they had to that, that at that moment think, well, what do I think of Christ? What do I think of Him? And in that moment, because they thought of Christ more than they thought of anything else, they had to make that, that decision in their life. Their philosophy of their life is built upon not the Major League Baseball and what Major League Baseball or the Rays organization is doing. Their philosophy in life is built upon Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you're fishing for men. You're building in them, not just coming to the saving knowledge of Christ, but a whole philosophy of life. The other example, I'm sure you've heard of, I'm sure you heard this, but apparently, and I don't really know anything about these churches, uh, but there are Methodist churches in Georgia, and there was a split because some of them wanted to accept an unscriptural lifestyle, and some of them said, no, we can't do that. And so this group of Methodist churches, they split. And some went one way, and some went the other way. Some thought more of the culture that we live in, and others thought, well, what think we of Christ? What does He say? And they followed Him. So that's, that's what we're dealing with here. Fishers of men. And these, the disciples were going to learn here that it wasn't just bringing people 
for the next three years, it wasn't just bringing people to the saving knowledge of Christ. It was to build them up in the faith. To build them up systematically from the Word of God to teach them who Jesus is and why it's important that we accept Him and why we follow Him. And so if you and I think that way, then the idea of sharing our faith will be of much greater importance and be, will be much more motivated in my mind. So I just want to give you, we'll, we'll go, we're, we're moving along in time here. Take your Bibles, we'll go to the Gospel of John chapter 5. Early in Jesus' ministry, He begins here to systematically teach who He is. So in John chapter 5, if you remember from our series on um, the miracles, this is, when the, this is where the man is laying by the pool, the sheep market pool, and it's the instance when, if, if when the angel stirs the water, someone would take that person and put that person into the water, they could be healed. And Jesus approaches this man and He says, well, I have no one to put me in the water. And Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. And um, we, we talked a lot about that, that Jesus did a lot of healing on the Sabbath to teach not only His disciples, but all those around that He was the Lord of the Sabbath. And um, the, of course, the scribes and the Pharisees, they get upset with Jesus here. But then Jesus begins to teach some important truths beginning in verse 17. But Jesus, look what it says here. But Jesus answered them, my Father worketh hitherto, and I work. By the way, here's a quick question. When was the last day that God took a day off and rested? Huh? On creation. That was the last day that the Bible says that God rested on the seventh day. He hasn't rested ever since. And that's because sin entered into the world. But... Uh, Jesus begins to bring these truths here. Look what he says here. First he says, listen, I want you to understand something, that I'm equal with God. This, is, this would have been a, a radical idea here. I mean, just think about the disciples. This, there they are fishing one day, and this man Jesus comes along and draws them to himself, and now he begins to teach who he is. Verse 18, he says, Therefore the Jews sought more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath you know, by healing that man, but said also that God was his Father making himself equal with God. He claims to be equal with God. And notice here, it's the opposition. It's the opposition that recognizes that Jesus is claiming to be equal with God. Um, Paul would say in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, also he'd use that same phrase, uh, that, that Jesus was equal with God. But it's the opposition to Jesus that's saying, this man's saying he's equal with God. Well, how can he say that? Well, he can only say that because he is equal with God. Well, who do men say that I am? And that word equal, by the way, if you study out, it means, it means he's qualitatively and quantitatively equal with God. He, in other words, he's saying he's God. That's why they would, they would try to stone him later on because of that, this claim. 
So you and I need to remember that. Jesus, he's equal with God. And then, so he's building this case here. So number one, the disciples have to take this in. Well, man, if this man's saying he's God, he's equal with God. And then in the next verse, he says this. Then, then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying this, that he's not only equal with God, but he's equal with God in ability. He has the same abilities that God has. He says, whatsoever he, meaning the Father, doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. So the disciples are going to learn this. This man, Jesus, says he is God. And he has the same abilities as God the Father. The omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. Whew. Then he says that he's equal with God in knowledge. Verse 20. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. So, Jesus said that he's equal with God. He's equal with God in ability. He's equal with God in knowledge. And by the way, that knowledge would sustain the Lord through all of the opposition. as it should sustain you and I, when we understand and grasp the idea of just who God is or just who Jesus claims to be and let that sink in. He's God. Then notice this in verse 21. He says, now he says, I'm, I'm, not only am I equal with God, not only am I equal with God in ability, not only am I equal with God in knowledge, but in, in verse, verse number 21 he says, I'm equal with God in His power. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom He will. The Son gives life. As His ministry begins to unfold, Jesus will teach the disciples that He had, as we saw, power over nature. He had power over sickness. He had power over the spirit world. He had power over sin. And then He has power over death. This is who we worship. Who do men think that I am? Well, we need to think and remember He's God. He's the Creator. Jesus, all the abilities of God. All the... Now, I know that you're saying, well, yeah, we understand, we know that. But what I'm saying is, as we talk about being fishers of men, there are many people in the world who don't know that. That's the point of all of this. And we have to bring them. We, we've been having someone visit the church on Wednesdays for the series that Pastor Ethan's been doing. To the best of our knowledge, this person has yet to receive Christ as their Savior. They're thinking about Him, who He is, who He's presented on being to be. There are many people like that. They've heard about Jesus. But being a fisher of men is bringing to the point for them to understand who he is. He said he's equal with God in judgment. Verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. 
Listen, Jesus was entrusted by God the Father with the administration of the kingdom. He was instruct, um, He was uh, empowered uh, to make the laws of God's Word. He was authorized to make peace between God and mankind. People don't know that. They need to know that. They need to come to learn that. And then in verse 23, Jesus said He's equal with God in honor. That all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent Him. So as only Jesus could do in just these very few verses, He systematically lays out to the disciples and to everyone that's listening just who He is. Just who He is. And then he goes on and he says this. Verse 24, as we finish up. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Why is it that you and I should become fishers of men just as the disciples did? Well, verse 24 gives us a pretty good idea because... Without Christ, people are going to die and go to hell. They're going to die and they're going to go to hell. But He gives you and I, He's given you and I that have put our faith and trust in Him everlasting life. And if we really believe that Jesus is equal with God and Jesus is equal with God's ability and knowledge and power and judgment and we honor Him and we really let that sink in and each and every day, what think we of Christ? And we look around and we see in our midst co-workers, family members, schoolmates, uh, neighbors, loved ones. They're going to, without Christ, they're going to die and they're going to go to hell. And yet we have here the truth of God's Word. Verse 25, Verily, verily, I say unto you that the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear it shall live. Now personally, I believe that that verse is talking about people who are spiritually dead. It's not talking about people who have actually died and have been resurrected out of the ground. It's talking about people who are walking around. We're dead, we know, in our sin and our trespasses and the Word of God is shared with them and the, and the Son of God brings life spiritual life into them. And you and I have been called to be fishers of men. To become fishers of men. Someone said this, when one is fishing, they expect to catch live fish and then then they die. As fishers of men, we catch dead fish and then they live. (laughs) That's what the Gospel does. You and I were dead in our sin and our trespass and, and then we heard, about, heard the Gospel and the Holy Spirit moved in our hearts, convicted us of our sin and our need of Christ and then we got saved and then we begin to grow and learn the things of God. Well, that's all part of fishing for men. For people to come to know Christ and, 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 and to get saved. I, I, I'm going to finish with this. So, you know, we started a couple of weeks ago our bus ministry again. It's always been a burden on my heart to go into different areas of our town that are kind of some pretty rough areas and try to reach people with the gospel. 
And um, several months ago, I spoke of a little boy whose name is Isaiah. And uh, Jim and I have, Jim Atherton and I have visited there. I've visited a couple of times. His mom was always um, positive in the visits. But here's the benefit, by the way, of two weeks ago when we went out and we had women with us and we had children with us and younger couples with us. When two old guys like Jim and I knock on the door and invite kids to write a bus ministry, there's a certain look, right? So, and I know that. So I told Jim Atherton yesterday, I said, Jim, you and I, when we go out alone, what we're looking for is we're looking for fishing holes. And so we're going to, so in my mind, I knew we were going to have a group. So we did this yesterday. Deborah was with us and their kids. I said, I want to go over to this little boy Isaiah's house and you and Ethan and, and bring one or two of your kids and go, you go knock on the door and see if, if they'll let the little boy come and his brother and sister. Because it's just a whole different look. you got to use the right bait, so to speak. And so they did. And so I want you to really be praying for Isaiah and his brother. They said they're going to come this Wednesday. And um, that's what it means to fish for men. Uh, I'm sure when you go fly fishing, you don't always catch something. Maybe you do. Maybe you're really good at it. (laughs) You're having a good year. But you understand what I'm saying. And I don't know what will happen with Isaiah and his brother and his sister. But I know that if you don't go fishing, you don't catch anything. And uh, so we all should be fishers of men. You may not work a bus ministry, but everybody can hand out a track, invite somebody to church, pray for people to get saved because we've been called to become fishers of men. It's part of the, it should be part of the philosophy of our lives because our philosophy of life needs to be built on our theology and our theology teaches us to go into all the world and preach the gospel and be fishers of men. We've run out of time. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we ask that you'd bless our uh, morning worship service. And Lord, I do pray that you just instill in us a burden for people who don't know you as their Savior. That um, we would look at people in the Walmart or the supermarket or at work with the fact that there's a judgment day that's coming and there is no hope without Christ and that we've placed our faith and trust in you. And we understand who you are, but there's a world of people who just don't understand who you are and why you've come. So help us to be sensitive to that and to be used of you. In Jesus' name, amen.